Welcome to Growing Up Skywalker. I'm Sam. Hi, I'm Anna. And today we're coming back to Attack of the Clones. Attack of the Clones! So uh, we're going to try to do this real quick. If you're at this point of Growing Up Skywalker, you've probably seen it. So here's the plot summary. The Separatists are separating. The mysterious Count Dooku has made things extremely difficult. And as we fly into Coruscant, there's an attack on Queen Padme, and one of her handmaidens is killed. Padme is the leader of the opposition to the formation of the Grand Army of the Republic, so it could be politically motivated. It also could just be very mischievous. Who knows? Yeah, she's convinced it's politically motivated. So Palpatine assigns Obi-Wan and Anakin to protect her. While they're protecting her, Zam Wessel attempts to kill her using murder caterpillars. Anna's favorite changeling assassin. But... Zam Wessel is eventually, after a chase scene, killed by a saber dart from Django Fett, attorney at law. <laughs> then we split into two plots. One of them is Anakin and Padme going off to Naboo to the lake country. On a very romantic pre-honeymoon. And Obi-Wan going to diners and then eventually going to Kamino to track down Django Fett. There's a few action sequences and a few romantic action sequences. (laughs) And we eventually get to Obi-Wan on Geonosis, where he meets with the mysterious Count Dooku, who says, it turns out that half the senators and the whole Republic are in the thrall of Darth Sidious. You should join me and help me defeat the Sith. And Obi-Wan's like, nuh Never. Uh, So he is shuffled away until the next scene. Anakin has gone off on an action sequence to rescue his mother and murder a bunch of Tusken Raiders, which one of them successful, one of them not so successful, depending on your depending on your criteria for success. There were no survivors. And so we get back. And Anakin and Padme go to Geonosis as well. There's a fun factory scene, and they are eventually captured. Then there's the arena scene where Obi-Wan, Padme, and Anakin are fighting a bunch of monsters in the arena when Mace Windu and Yoda show up, save the day with clones, first time we see clones, and then everyone's chasing, everyone of note is chasing Dooku to his hangar where he's about to leave. With the plans for the Death Star. Yes. Anakin charges in, gets zapped. Obi-Wan charges in, gets sliced. Anakin <laughs> charges back in, gets a five-finger discount. They are li- <laughs> You're making this sound like the back room of a really inept sandwich shop, It Sam. kind of is. <laughs> Dooku force slides Anakin on top of Obi-Wan and they're in a pile. And then we have the absolute climax of the movie, which is Yoda saunters in on his little cane. And then there's a crazy sword fight between Yoda and Dooku. However, it ends in a stalemate. Dooku flies off, gives the plans to Palpatine, Sidious, and says, hey, things are ready. Everything's progressing as planned. Then we see the formation of the Grand Army of the Republic. Full of clones. Full of clones. And we also see Padme and Anakin giving each other hand and robo hand in marriage. Yeah. And that is the movie. How did That's the attack of the clones, my friends. I think that was that was our that was our speed run. So what do you want to talk about? So much to talk about. Mm-hmm. I think I want to start with some big picture stuff. Is that okay? Absolutely. I noted so many more interesting things, having done a detailed watch through of the Clone Wars, so many notes that are touched on later. Yeah. So let's do some production stuff first. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about the differences between making Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. Were the budgets different? Was the technology different? You're in luck. I, um... When I turned like 35, I started doing homework and I did my homework for this, I'll have <laughs> yes. you know. So this was the first major film filmed digitally. In fact- The, the first major film in the world? Yes. Wow. On digital cameras. Yeah. And there had been like indie films and a small film whose name escapes me that had been filmed that way. But in fact, the Sony cameras with serial number 00001 through 00004 were used in the production of this movie. Wow. And that unfortunately led to some problems later on because uh, Robert Ebert saw this movie in theaters where it had been converted to a real film 
real R-E-E-L, it a film film. It is an actual real R-E-A-L film. Yes. Well, I mean, this would be a crazy project if we were just telling stories about a made-up thing. That'd be, <laughs> yeah. that'd be pretty The imaginary surreal. film, Attack of the Clones. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so he saw it in theaters. And uh, so when you take the digital thing from the hard drive and convert it into a film reel... It was apparently a lot darker and muddied. Oh, no. And so he didn't like it nearly as much, but there were only a handful of theaters that could show it in digital. So he was a major critic at the time, right? He was. In fact, this is his lowest rated Star Wars film. Wow. Yeah. However, on the and another problem with this, and for those of you who are a little more technically adroit or who are roughly my age and went through the, the Pixel Wars of like, so your original TV was 480 by 340 pixels pretty small pretty small and then you had 1080p and 1220 so this movie was filmed in 1440 by 1080 resolution so that's a lot of pixels it is but it cannot get better so if you have actual film you can upsample it because the film is down to a molecular level whereas the digital receptors you just can't upsample it Am I right in thinking that Lord of the Rings was filmed on film? It was. Okay, because it still looks good more than 20 years later. And this year, 2022, is the 20th birthday of Attack of the Clones. Which also still looks good. It does still look good. So compared to Phantom, uh, in Phantom, I really noticed with the jarring of the... uh, the background creatures and features like whenever an alien was on scene particularly like boss nas the lighting was just a little bit off mm. i noticed that in this the only thing that seemed off to me were a few of the clone troopers and the fire and explosions they just looked not that great that's so interesting because when i was watching phantom last mm-hmm. week for our rewatching phantom yes. episode i was thinking oh my god holy cow the practical effects look so good mm-hmm. this movie looks amazing as i was watching attack of the clones i was missing the weight Of the practical effects, because I think a lot of Attack of the Clones was computer generated. Yeah. And it feels less substantial. It feels almost translucent at points. Yeah. This one has significant CGI. The movie was basically fully CGI. There was a fair bit of shooting on scene in uh, Tunisia for Tatooine, Lake Como in Italy Mm -hmm. for Naboo. Which I've been to. It is just that beautiful. I was like eyeballing the the geology. I'm like, wow. (laughs) So yeah, and a, a few other places. I think Yoda was completely computer generated in this movie. He was. So Frank Oz had done the puppeting and the voices for Yoda in the original trilogy. Wow, both at once. Yeah, well, I mean, presumably he did one than the other, but... Yeah, he might have, <laughs> that he might would have done... be a real double feature. <laughs> um, so when Phantom first came out, they were using a puppet Yoda, but it did not look very good at all. So in the version we watched last week and in the versions you watch today, Phantom Yoda has been upgraded to a fully digital one. And in this, he's obviously fully digital because to puppet a... Chaos Gremlin. Yeah, it'd it'd be pretty wild. So, Yeah, Attack definitely feels more populated than Phantom, right? We're spending a lot of time on Coruscant. There's a ton of bystanders and crowds. We get more aliens. It's richer. It's busier. I just really missed how lifelike everything felt in Phantom. Yeah, I think it's because there's fewer creatures. Now, we do see the big budded Nabubian beasts of burden. Oh, the shacks? Yeah. When Anakin and Padme are pinwheeling around the the picnic field. Yes. (laughs) So we see those, and apparently they grow a lot larger because the ones that Pippi Bow is riding in the Blue Shadow Virus arc are much, much bigger. Yeah, these were bebe shacks. But, uh... Yeah, I felt like this, the Coruscant scenes in the beginning were pretty good. Oh, yeah. Like running through the streets. The first shot of this movie is exquisite. Yes. It looks expensive. It looks beautiful. It's Padme's diplomatic cruiser, mm-hmm. all shiny and silver, twirling through the skies to land on Coruscant. Mm-hmm. The galaxy's all blue and purple. I was like, oh. 
Chef's kiss. This is mm-hmm. beautiful. And I thought it really set the color palette for the start of this movie, which was purples and blues and grays. This is a much darker, foggier, shadowier movie than Phantom. It is. And out of all the movies, this one spends sort of a lot less time on Tatooine than a lot of movies because like significant parts of A New Hope, Return of the Jedi, and Phantom Menace are on Tatooine. And our scenes on Tatooine in this one take place at night often. Yeah. When I think of the Phantom Menace, the color story, right? I Mm -hmm. think of those dusty, you know, sepia tones and whites and yellows and browns from Tatooine. And then, of course, Naboo is bright blues and oranges and greens. But this movie has a ton of gray. And then as soon as we get to Geonosis, it's a lot of red and black. Yes. Geonosis is a distinctly different desert, which I appreciate. Yeah. Just, um, and people don't, like the the average person on the street wouldn't have the, the tones for this, but from a geological perspective, the sands of Tatooine and the sands of Geonosis are very different. They look very different. Geonosis looks like Mars. Uh, Geonosis is Arizona, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> which does, which does. I mean, there's, there's significant parts of Arizona, which are at a certain point kind of indistinguishable from Mars wow. because you have these big low bluffs. And then the cool part of Geonosis is these spires, which are, I don't know what geologically could lead to them because they're a very interesting I mean, I could make something up on the spot here. Sandstone. Be, yeah, well. Weathering. I'm just throwing out geology terms here. Yeah, they're they're different. And the Geonosians themselves are, are really cool. And there's so many things in this movie that I know this time that are openings for further expansion into the canon. Yeah. The theme for me, maybe I had two themes watching Attack of the Clones, because this is my second or third watch through ever mm-hmm. of Attack of the Clones. One theme was how little I picked up on in my first watch through. And the other theme was how much richer the Clone Wars TV show made this movie. Absolutely. More than Phantom, because the Clone Wars original Tartakowski series comes out right after this. In fact, much of the first two seasons were put in place before Revenge of the Sith came out. Oh, okay. So Attack of the Clones 2002, Tartakovsky, Mm -hmm. Clone Wars, not canon, 2003. Yes, and those things happen right after this, and they tell these Star Wars stories, but that led into the 2008 Clone Wars, which we've spent the last year Year and and watching. Yeah, (laughs) so there's a lot of notes pulled from this, and not nearly so many pulled from Phantom Menace because you don't need them. All the, the locations, we went back and revisited. All the characters were pulled forward. Uh, we even hear Qui-Gon's voice in this. We do. When Anakin's having his major premonition before he goes to see Shmi, we hear him saying, Mm -hmm. Anakin, no. Exactly. Interesting. So really, this is where the story starts. And Phantom Menace was there to drum up support for the prequels. Yeah, I think I've heard because there are different watching orders, right? We're doing the in-universe chronology watch through. Mm -hmm. I believe it's called the machete order where you don't watch Phantom. Yeah. Which is fascinating to me. Yeah, and I can kind of see that if you if you're short on time, you could just skip that, and it would be. If you don't like pod racing, if you don't, then like pod fine. Racing. But like, I don't know what person doesn't like pod racing. It is the most thrilling part of it, but for people who are extremely quote unquote serious watchers of Star Wars, oh then, ho ho, yeah. pinky finger up! I put on my serious film critic hat. So on this watch through, one of the things that I've done for these movies has been, and so I guess this is only for for Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. I've been trying to find critical reviews from the time period. Okay, so yeah. So I was looking for like 1999 articles for Phantom and 2002 articles for this. One of the articles I found was distinctly dismissive of how much of the expanded universe this killed. Oh. Which is kind of bonkers because, but reading through the lines, there's actually a bunch of background information which was made canon as part of Attack of the Clones. One of them is the celibacy of the Jedi. Oh. Did not really exist before this. Before Phantom or before Attack of the Clones? Before Attack of the Clones. Wow. You're totally right. No one ever mentions it in Phantom. 
And so that breaks a lot of the expanded universe because so much of the books written in the 90s were like, and here's Luke's kids doing Luke kid stuff. Which sounds adorable. I love that for everybody, including myself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But now that's not that's not part of the story, or at least not properly. And so you have a lot of people grouchy about that and saying, oh, it's too melodramatic. But I think it actually sets things up for a really interesting breakdown of the Jedi Order, which we've explored a lot, particularly in season six and season seven of The Clone Wars. Yeah. For me, the Jedi have bad PR theme that we have talked about frequently in our Clone Wars recaps really starts here in downtown Coruscant when Obi-Wan aces noted assassin Zam Wessel with a lightsaber in a crowded bar. Mm -hmm. And then Anakin says, Jedi business, go back to your drinks. Yeah. That is a bad look. It is. I mean, all all summer, it's now the fall, but like all summer, there are various police shootings throughout my town that I live in. In fact, the the police banned... uh, food carts after dark because it was a place where people congregated. So if the cops come in and make a mess, you're like, okay, well, I guess I better not mess with the cops. In my headcanon, in my understanding of the way that things in Star Wars should be, the Jedi should have a better reputation than police officers. So that I think is, well, I mean, fair. That is one of the interesting things. And it's a note that I picked up on particularly watching specifically for Mace Windu Hmm. when they're getting their plans together and deciding what to do. So uh, the council gets the message and Obi-Wan is captured. So they're they're mustering troops to go to the arena on Geonosis. And so Mace Windu says, I'm going to take what Jedi we have left and go to Geonosis. Right. And I counted there's 15 of them. Yeah, which is bonkers. That is so few Jedi. So what is that what does that say about the state of the Jedi? Because also at the beginning of this this episode, and we talked about this on our first watch through, that Mace says, I think it is time to inform the Senate that we have lost our capacity to foresee the future. Yeah, we should inform the Galactic Senate the dark side is clouding our ability to use the force. Which means that by this point, the Jedi have already kind of broken. And now you're just like finishing them off at the beginning of this movie. Yeah, which is a really dark framing that I certainly did not pick up on on my first watch through. Especially because there's the beautiful background shots. And I think that the small details in this are better than in Phantom. The grace notes, yeah. But- we're walking across the Jedi archives as Obi-Wan goes through his wild goose chase to track down the planet. Of Aayla Sakura is there. Yeah. And it's a massive library. It is huge, the Jedi archives are. And there's just not that many people there. I'm actually really glad you mentioned the archives because mm-hmm. there was another note for me on the Jedi have bad PR yeah. theme which was that I saw the arrogance of the Jedi, mm-hmm. the out-of-touchedness of the Jedi in a really unexpected place. Was it from Jocasta Jocasta New. Yeah. So Dex, my beloved of Dex's diner, who he, I my, – my one and only, my heart and soul, I love him is, so much. He is definitely the superior Beskalisk that we know in the Star Wars that universe. That is the truest of true <laughs> things you've ever said. Unlike his brother. <laughs> yeah. So Dex tells Obi-Wan, yeah, it'll be easy to find this planet Camino that you're looking for. And he gives him pretty good instructions, he gives all him things considered. Spot on instructions. Obi-Wan checks the archives. He's like, Jocasta, where's the planet? It's not in the archives. And Jocasta knew, says, if it's not in the Jedi archives, it doesn't exist. Yeah. Which is manifestly untrue. It is. It is. The difference between the knowledge of regular people and the knowledge accessible to the Jedi is different. Yeah. We don't even know how many blind spots they have. We don't even know what's missing. And and really, I see where she's coming from. If you think you have perfect knowledge of everything, why bother to look elsewhere? Yeah. Except now we know the Jedi don't have perfect knowledge. Although, once again, so in Phantom, we talked about how the council sent Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan 
not to protect Padme, but to clean up their mess of a Sith. They're like, hey, you're on Sith busting duty. You got if if there is a person with a red lightsaber, we got to send that Jedi to solve that because that is a Jedi problem and no one else can solve that. Yeah, pitter patter. Let's get at her. And I feel like reading between the lines or perhaps, I mean, I don't have the quotes in front of me. That is what Yoda is telling Obi-Wan to do more importantly than like this following this assassin. It's follow the mystery of why, how something could have gotten deleted and why. Yeah. He does call it a matter of great urgency. He says he's going to go meditate on it. And then the fact that it happened and all of a sudden there's a war on is very problematic because now they have this like institutional workload debt of who do we send to figure out who stole the data crystal that can from the archives that contains the information about Camino. And then like, what, what meaning does that have? Because now all of these 15 Jedi are generals and each one of them is incredibly busy and they're probably using the force to stay awake. Oh yeah. We had a big criticism that we discussed in the Clone Wars TV show, which has been totally neutralized for me now watching Attack of the Clones. We were talking about, you know, just how ludicrous it is that Obi-Wan tracks this bounty hunter, Jango Fett, who is trying to murder a prominent senator. Mm -hmm. He happens to have a link to this mysterious clone army. No one ever investigates. Then I realized the gap between Obi-Wan making that discovery and Yoda flying in with platoons of clone troopers is a couple of hours, and then yeah. the Clone Wars begins. Yep. There truly was not time to do more investigating before the Grand Army of the Republic suddenly existed. And we're at war. And we're at war, and then you're trying to, you know, order your troops around and stage a war with less than 15 Jedi because a non-zero amount of them got... East aced in the Geonosian arena. Yeah, they did. And hopefully they got better. I mean, Obi-Wan's wounds from uh, Dooku in the last sword fight, they're pretty, pretty bad. Yeah, it took him out of the fight. I remember when the Jedi all circled up in the middle of the arena, mm-hmm. right before Yoda comes flying in, Obi-Wan checks on a Jedi who's fallen and he makes this face that he's like, I need to do funeral rites and I have to get back to this fight. Yeah. So he just leaves her on the ground. There are, at the second half of this movie, basically starting in the Battle of Geonosis, there's so much good face acting. Mm. And a lot of it is from Ian McGregor. And a lot of it's from Yoda and Dooku, Christopher Lee. And Mace Windu. mm -hmm, Because everyone seems so disappointed with the outcome. With everybody. Mm, They're like... This is just terrible that this is the way things turned out and we don't have the time to move it forward in a more finessable way. Mm. Even after, right after Dooku, you know, takes Obi-Wan out of the fight and cleans it up, takes Anakin out of the fight, cleans it up. And he has this look on his face of like, I wonder if he crossed a personal Rubicon there of eviscerating a Jedi and defeating a Jedi. And now he's like, oh, now I'm actually on the path to the dark side. Interesting. Yeah. I thought he was just disappointed that nobody put up a better fight. Possibly. That was definitely his trash talk, but I don't think that was the case. <laughs> yeah. Although that conflicts with some quasi-canon stuff with regards to how you make a red lightsaber. He was talking smack, but he didn't mean the smack in his heart. Well, we talked about this when we first recorded for Attack of the Clones, that we learned in this one that the lineage is... Yoda, Dooku, Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan, Anakin, as far as Master Padawan. Yeah, it's my favorite thing ever. And how Dooku would, I mean, he was genuinely disappointed in Obi-Wan. And then Anakin, he's like, you're just a kid. I'm going to take you out of the fight. But Obi-Wan, he's like, I'm disappointed. I thought you would be a better fighter. Master Qui-Gon spoke so highly of you. And that's an interesting relationship to have. It it makes me wonder, like, what Dooku's story is. That said, next week, Tales of the Jedi are coming out. We're going to watch the Dooku part. So. Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah.
last thing I want to talk about, and then I really want to get into characters, yeah. was the rewards of a second watch of this movie. Mm-hmm. There were so many beautiful things that have been fleshed in or fleshed out for me over the past year and a half that we've been doing this project. The first one that I noticed was recognizing Django Fett's voice. Yes. He's in the alleyway directing Zam Wessel yeah. to do the second assassination attempt. That felt very rewarding. Mm-hmm. D. Bradley Baker in The Clone Wars did such a phenomenal job with the voices of the clone troopers that Django Fett was instantly recognizable to me. Fascinating. Because, yeah, I mean, it's very, it's very good. I, I don't know if I could recognize the difference between D. Bradley Baker and Tamira Morrison, but Tamira Morrison did all the voices of the clones. So, a couple of things continue to delight me. The murder caterpillars, classic, continue to be phenomenal. What a way to assassinate someone! Yeah, I definitely feel like Zam's shape shifting abilities were squandered, and they were supposedly supposed to be more that scene was supposed to be extended and Zam was supposed to use them to escape from Obi-Wan. Oh. But um I guess I was just thinking yeah. if you can get through a window to let some murder caterpillars into a room, you can lob a grenade into a room. Like that was just for the drama. It was. It was. Same thing with the execution by Rancor in the Geonosian arena. Like this movie is so full of elaborate murder plans that go so awry. But that's the Star Wars experience as well. Every Star Wars movie has the sort of super villain versus good guy thing. In fact, one of the 2002 criticisms of this movie was that it's basically a Bond movie, except that James Bond is split into two people, Anakin and Obi-Wan. Anakin does the... Not to mention Padme. Yeah. Well, of course, there's action Padme doing action Padme things, but... Anakin is doing the the seducing and Obi-Wan is doing the sleuthing. And then when it comes time for action, they're working together. Oh my God. Fascinating. Yeah. I love that so much. Yoda is M who's like, there's something, <laughs> there's something mysterious. Go track it down. And they leave behind a trail of dead bodies uh, as they figure stuff out. Padme is way better than a Bond girl though. This is true. Yeah. I loved seeing Coruscant rendered in full color, full live action glory. So great. We just, we spent so much time in Coruscant during the Clone Wars that now I can pick up on the different neighborhoods. Now I know when we're in the warehouse district, I know that after the Coruscant speeder chase scene Mm -hmm. when Anakin and Obi-Wan are zooming straight Mm -hmm. down, I know why the character of the city changes as they drop lower and lower and lower closer to ground level because it's getting poorer. Did you note that the place where Dooku comes back at the very end of the movie is in this like crazy industrial area and there's this, oh gosh, I remember looking up the name of it. It's a very specific factory that Dooku and Sidious meet at. It is also the factory that they meet at in season six when they are trying to get inside Yoda's brain. I did not. And that is fantastic. Yeah. It's really cool Yeah, to see all those notes and how everything has the very Coruscant feel. Yeah. It was so cool to be able to have watched the Clone Wars and see all of the threads that they unpicked from the tapestry and expanded. Mm-hmm. Anakin and Obi-Wan going into the club on Coruscant, same storyline as Ahsoka and Plo Koon in season three, seeing a changeling just like Zam Wessel in the Holocron arc. Mm-hmm. Even when Obi-Wan puts a tracker on Jango's ship, it's the same as Tara Sinube doing that in Lightsaber Lost. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it was so rewarding. This movie definitely bears more fruit after The Clone Wars. So a recent news item that crossed my path has been that the number of young, well, not really young, men who go into their 30s without having sex is at an all-time high. Oh. Yeah. And there's this idea that I've been working with and it's like something that's really part of like my upbringing was this incel movement and the the male gamer and all this stuff and so much of it follows Anakin's journey. 
I was waiting for the Star Wars connection here. Yeah, that was like two sentences. I've gone way longer than that. <laughs> and and we talked about this at length when we first did Attack of the Clones about how Anakin has built up Padme to be someone who he loves and they haven't seen each other in what, seven, eight years? He's thought about her every day for 10 years. Yeah. She does not admit to thinking about him even once. And so, because she was with Rush Clovis. So, oh, yeah. So we have this. And Paolo. Yeah. Yeah. Padme was getting busy. Good for her. Good we for love her. to see it. So, what it comes down to is parasocial relationships. So, a parasocial relationship is one that's one way. You know, you go to the supermarket and you pick up a celebrity magazine, you're engaging in a parasocial relationship because you're caring about what. So-and-so did with whom and whom. And it's like, okay, this person doesn't know you exist. So parasocial relationship is like a one-way glass. Exactly. Like when we look at John Mulaney cracking jokes about his wife and we're like, oh my God, they're so adorable. And mm-hmm. then they divorce and we're like, oh my God, so terrible. Like they, that? Don't, they don't know we exist. Yeah. Okay, got it, got it, got and it. And so we build up emotions and we get the feedback, the internal physical feedback of a relationship with people who don't interact with us in a relationship context. And that is how Anakin interacted with Padme. And he had spent all this time crafting all these lines to say and saying all these things. He still has an earnestness about him. But the when we talked about this at length when we first uh, recorded this, but the way he instigates young love, because that is what it is. He's a teenager. This is a summer young, fling. Yeah. Is extremely toxic. Yeah, there are people out there, I know there are, whose OTP is Anakin and Padme. Mm -hmm. And man, I just can't do it. I hate it. Someone has probably written a book on why every line of Anakin's dialogue, especially that directed at Padme in this movie, is toxic. Mm -hmm. And if they haven't, then maybe I will. Because... I wanted to slough off my skin and start a new life somewhere else. I hate most of Anakin's dialogue. On rewatching the I hate sand line is like the most famous one from this movie. It's really not that bad. It's not because if you amp it up, if you just take it in out of context, it doesn't make sense. But it is in context Padme is like, yes, I came to this castle in the Lake Country on school trips because I was raised to be as part of the Young Diplomats Corps when yeah. I was making out with this guy who I'm I had telling this you about. Luxurious trip. We used to swim around and lay in the sun, and the sun would dry us off. And Anakin's like, I grew up as a slave picking sand out of my oatmeal. Yeah, exactly. Because she's like, oh, I loved sta- like lying on the sand. He's like, I hate sand. I hate it. Like, because we have these different experiences and he's trying to reach a point of Congress, but he's just, it comes off flat, but it's the soft and smooth bit for me that finishes that line. Cause he's looking at her exposed back and he's like, everything here is so soft and smooth. And I'm like, I mean, mixed messages though, on her showing up to be like, I don't know if I like this guy, but I'm not wearing, I'm wearing 40% of a shirt today. We will (laughs) discuss that Sam at length, but we don't have to do it right now. Cause I know we're talking about incels. Okay. So I've been building a theory in my head for the recovery of this because now now I'm here in my mid thirties and I realize that I have a lot of friends who are my age who are in that initial group. And it's because it is actually easy, if not easier to fall into a parasocial relationship than to go out and find an actual relationship. And so much of this movie is about relationships at the beginning, all the banter, which is kind of an Easter egg for star Wars fans between Anakin and Obi-Wan of how you're the only, you're the closest thing to a father figure I've got. Mm-hmm. is you're going to be the death of me Anakin. yeah exactly yeah, yeah. But, obi-wan's going to kill me mm-hmm. yeah but that's the only relationship that anakin has and that's relatively common to only have a handful of relationships with other men and so anakin builds up in his mind this extremely unhealthy relationship and if the logistics of a relationship aren't going to work it's generally not worth it to push harder Like one of them would have to give something up. And in a way, Padme thinking that she was going to die in the arena and reciprocating his love is part of the problem, right? Yeah. He he seemed ready to put it all down. So 
to wrap it all up, I feel like the advice I can give is to create safety around yourself. And that is what Anakin is notably lacking, which is why I think you want. Oh, Anakin gives off danger vibes. Yeah. And I want to talk about it at length because I have so many thoughts about Padme and Anakin's relationship. Yeah, let's talk about it. Yeah, I mean, and we'll keep it fun, right? Okay, because I feel like I've, I've run off the rails there, so. The main thing for me, for Padme and Anakin, is that the age difference between them isn't just five years, right? It's Padme's prefrontal cortex having grown in mm -hmm. and Anakin's still developing. Yeah. When I was 24 turning 25, it was like I woke up one day and everything was different. I looked at long-term relationships I'd had in my life and I realized out of nowhere after turning 25 that they were not okay, right? Yeah. And so it's not that age gap relationships are bad because there is an age gap, right? As long as everyone's brain is fully developed – Go ham, you know? But Padme is a woman. Mm -hmm. And Anakin is developmentally at 19, still a child. Yeah, he's he's deeply lacking in the equanimity towards relationships. And I think that that's what the Jedi Council, the Jedi Code is moving him towards, is being a being without the baggage. Yeah. And that is, in a way, the weakness. And I wonder... In my upbringing, uh, I was raised with the religion, and then I was raised with the unwritten rules of the religion. And this is pretty common because, you know, specifically the Bible is full of all sorts of contradictory things and, and things to take you to task over. Yeah, sure. Because, like, the same chapters that say don't mix fabrics and don't eat shellfish and also, uh, you know, don't have same-sex relationships, those are all in the same weight, you know? And people do two out of three or any two out of three or all three, but you end up with, I was taught, you know, no sex before marriage, don't drink. And none of those were actually part of my religion. Interesting. And I wonder if the Jedi code is kind of the same way. Oh, like it came out of a set of social strictures and it somehow just got enmeshed in the way to be a Jedi. Yeah. Yeah. And like I, the manual for how to be a Jedi just kept getting bigger and bigger with all these extra addendums. Or it didn't, and it's all unwritten rules. Mm. So. Yeah. Because I feel like people can have attachment without improper attachment. Right, which is what Anakin is using as his you know, very clever wordplay with Padme where he's trying to get in her pantaloons, mm -hmm. he's saying, you know, I would say that the Jedi encourage us to to practice compassion, which I would define as unconditional love. Exactly. Right? So he's trying to wend his way around this. Yeah. The reason that I wanted to talk about Padme and Anakin was actually because I want to talk about Padme's costumes. Mm -hmm. So like, welcome to the land of zero segues ever. I really want to talk about Padme's no, costumes, but it's related. Yeah, I promise no, it it's is. related. Also, we would not be a Star Wars podcast worth our salt if we were not talking about the former Queen Amidala's outrageous outfits. They bring me much joy. Yeah. But I want to talk about one of Padme's outfits in particular. Mm -hmm. It's the black leather corset that yep. she wears when Anakin is confessing his love for her. Yep. And I want to talk about it because she's basically wearing armor. Mm, okay. Natalie Portman, the actress mm -hmm. who played Padme, went on the record to say that that corset dress in particular was extremely restrictive physically, mm. also visually, right? She's wearing these metal bands around her head. She's got that tight scarf around her neck. It looks like a noose. Mm. Her hair is pinned up really tight. To me, it was like she was trying to show Anakin that she is not allowed the freedom to live in this fantasy of mm -hmm. their forbidden love. Yeah. He's coming to her and he's saying, I've loved you for 10 years. I've thought about you every day. Every breath you take causes me agony. I mm -hmm. want you to run off and be my secret wife, right? And she's trying to show him without saying it out loud that she is trapped by the conventions of her station, by being older than him, by being wiser than him. And it's like she's showing him that she's imprisoned. 
Interesting. Right? By her clothing, by the expectations on her, by being the mature adult. But Anakin probably saw that dress as a come on. He might have. I mean, he's he's thirsty. Yeah. And in reality, she's trying to use it to tell him no. Yeah. The whole relationship is is so fraught and melodramatic that I think it's actually thematically a good Star Wars relationship. Yeah. Because everything has to be over the top in the Star Wars universe. Unpack good for me. Good in the sense that it's entertaining and it leads to conflict. It leads to interesting things happening down the line. And they do eventually in the Clone Wars make a power couple. You know, if they were, yeah. if they were, they were a power couple in the arena. Yeah, they really were. So they did see that they were good at their, at their tasks. And that, that, that speaks to me also of how so much of Anakin's lines when he gets angry in mm-hmm. front of others, which is a theme in this because he's a teenager, he's recognizing that he is held back because he has really cool capabilities. Yeah, he is gifted and he is unable to actually utilize all of his gifts within the strictures of the Jedi code within his relationship with Obi-Wan. In fact, in this watch through, I think that he expected to be able to use the force to keep Shmi alive. Yeah, I definitely see that. And because he wasn't able to, he's finally hitting the edge of his power. And that is what led him to snap more than anything else. That is super interesting. Yeah. Yeah. There was one last Padme thing that I wanted to talk about. Because because you mentioned her lake dress, right? The Mm -hmm. lake dress is so iconic in cosplay. And yeah, her entire back is showing. I think the note that George Lucas gave to the costume designer was that, and I quote, he wanted Padme's lake dress to look like it would fall off if she sneezed, Mm. which is gross. Yeah. But it's a great dress, right? And for some reason, I keep coming back to that line. There's two lines that she says to Anakin. One of them is, Annie, don't try to grow up too fast. Yeah. And the other one is, I wasn't the youngest queen ever elected, but now that I think back on it, I'm not sure I was old enough. Yeah. So the more that I think about what Padme was trying to show to Anakin, Mm -hmm. and she was conflicted, right? When Padme was a child, she had to be a ruler. Yeah. And now that she's a woman, she wants to go back to being just a girl. Her late country costumes, before the leather corset, Mm -hmm. they're flirty and they're fun and they're light and they're revealing. And it's because it's like all of a sudden Padme doesn't have to be a senator. She has to hide from being a senator. She doesn't have to be a queen. Mm -hmm. She can just be a girl who can have what she wants, right? And she can get something that she wants for herself, maybe for the first time. She's having this summer fling in the most beautiful place in the entire world, this like romantic interlude. And I think she wants it and she's not letting herself have it. Because she is preeminently aware of the consequences. She's aware of the consequences. Anakin is giving off danger vibes. And he's like catching feelings, you know, and she's like, I just want to, you know, see what you can do with the force. But (laughs) yeah, maybe, maybe it just feels like Padme always loves Anakin under duress. It does. And that actually is an echo of the Jedi in this war, right? Because the Jedi are acting under duress the whole time. Yeah. 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 This movie is about having your hand forced. It is. And that's tough. It is. It is. Yeah. So in a smoother segue, (laughs) let's talk about Anakin and Obi-Wan. Yeah, Anakin and Obi-Wan. They are not buds this episode. They're not. They don't like each other much at all. It's 
Yeah, it's surprising. I read the first few pages of Master and Apprentice, Mm -hmm. which is a 2019 novel by Claudia Gray. The sections that I read were from Qui-Gon's point of view. Mm -hmm. It's all about how he feels like he's not equipped to turn Obi-Wan into a good Jedi. Mm -hmm. He's like constantly worried about how Obi-Wan is not shaping up to be the way that he wants him to be. And it is so clear in this film Obi-Wan feels the same way about Anakin. Interesting. He is just constantly on Anakin's case. He it, He's constantly reminding Anakin how much he has to learn. Because Anakin, to be frank, is not very good at his job in this movie. No, he's, he's really good at solving problems, but really not good at being a Padawan. Like if when- he were my Padawan, I would put him on a performance improvement plan. We would be having serious talks about Anakin's future at this company. <laughs> <laughs> because Anakin like jumps out of the speeder because he has a premonition that Zam is going to show up in a spot. Which, to be fair, I love. Yeah, yeah. It's cool, but it shows that his skills have outweighed his mental acuity for using them. To be fair, Obi-Wan first launches himself out of Padme's window five miles above the ground of Coruscant and hangs on to a little probe while it zooms him through the city. Which so is pretty dumb. If these are the lessons that Anakin is picking up from Obi-Wan, yeah. maybe this is Obi-Wan's fault. I feel like it is. I feel like some of them are. Yeah. Because Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan's still trying in this. And we see it in a few other arcs in the Clone Wars. Obi-Wan is always trying to just be a cool Jedi detective who does cool Jedi detective stuff. I love that for him. Because that's what Qui-Gon did. Yeah, more of that, please. And what like Terrace Nube did. And it's it, that's Jedi work. Anakin wants to be so much more. And Palpatine's always fluffing him up, being like, you'll be the yeah. greatest Jedi ever. And Anakin wants to be the greatest Jedi ever. He wants to be the be everything, do everything Jedi. He wants to be the Jedi who marries the senator and you know, kills all the bad guys and saves all the good guys, and he can't. The contrast between how Obi-Wan talks to Anakin and how Palpatine talks to Anakin is so stark. Mm -hmm. I wonder if Anakin wasn't starving for some positive reinforcement a little bit in this film. I see, and this is kind of circling back to the topic I brought up earlier with regards to young men. I see Anakin as absolutely emotionally starving. Yeah. Because his relationship, he has no pure relationships. Yeah. And that is what he needs. And in a way, that might speak to what Mace is talking about. I'll take what Jedi we have left. Because if there's not enough Jedi for you to have good friends... Yeah, it makes me sad when I think about the Jedi younglings arc of the Clone Wars, right? When all the Bebes go to Ilum Mm -hmm. with Ahsoka and Yoda, and there's a crew of five of them. There's enough for them to have friends. And Anakin seems to be, maybe because of his age, maybe because of the time that he entered the Jedi Order, so alone. So, okay, that's an interesting point. Maybe... The reason that you can't take on pad or uh, younglings because they're too old is because you're entering into the school year halfway through, basically. Yeah. And so they don't have those str- strong friendships with their peers. Ahsoka, as a Padawan of Anakin's age, was so much more capable than Anakin was as a Padawan in this movie. Mm-hmm. She had so many more skills because she started at four. Yeah. Yeah. She was leading rebellions on Onderon and counseling monarchs on Mon Cala and solving mysteries and infiltrating systems and teaching classes. And yeah. Anakin is, you know, Anakin. I do want to highlight the things that I love about Obi-Wan and Anakin in this movie because there are a lot of them. What's that? I love the Anakin-Obi-Wan banter in the speeder. <laughs> yeah. Why did it take you so long? Well, you know, I couldn't find a speeder I really liked. (laughs) You'd have the open top and the right speed capabilities. Love that. I love that Obi-Wan is always calling Anakin my very young apprentice. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, my big baby. Yes. You know nothing. Love the Coruscant speeder chase. Brings me great joy. Love Obi-Wan in the club. You do not want to sell me death sticks. You want to go home and rethink your life choices. And 
Obi-Wan's acting as a calming influence in that because Anakin's like rushing in and Obi-Wan's like, hold up, chill. Like, there's only one entrance. I'm going to go get a drink at the bar. Honestly, I love that Obi-Wan is so well hydrated in this movie. Uh, yeah. Shots or- at the bar, Jawa juice at Dex's diner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's It does show that perhaps Obi-Wan is working through this relationship thinking, if only I could show Anakin more ways to learn. I, I think that perhaps Obi-Wan's youngling training was... Okay, now you're a Padawan, you're assigned to Qui-Gon, just follow and do what he does. And he did, but he's expecting Anakin to do that when Anakin needs a more explicit plan moving forward of Mm. like, if you do this, then you'll get this. You will get the rewards you want in time. Hmm. Yeah, it could be. I always feel so much like Anakin in this movie. Like There have been parts of my life where I'm truly outgrowing my britches and i'm like where do i get britches and like you have to come up with this thing that is blah 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 and i'm like no 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 i just need like i just need to be put in a place where i can thrive oh my god i feel so much like padme in this movie yeah maybe our love story is doomed sam maybe god what a way to find out thanks star wars (laughs) thanks star wars (laughs) so i've Two more housekeeping factoids. Housekeeping? Yeah. So one of them is I did misspeak last week talking about Bruce Willis's uh, AI in perpetuity. It turns out I had conflated two stories. And one of them is that James Earl Jones is, in fact, allowing his voice to be used for Darth Vader in perpetuity. However, Bruce Willis is actually embroiled in a suit right now because a commercial came out with a deep fake likeness of him. Oh. And that's that's the bit that you could, in fact, deep fake an entire actor and it'd be indistinguishable. Yeah, that's very sus that they didn't ask him. Well, I, it was uh, foreign. So still, still, yeah. But at this point, like who owns the rights? And Hollywood's been pretty concerned about this for like 10 years now. Yeah. The other housekeeping factoid, and this is a fun one, and we're back on track for Star Wars facts now. (laughs) The original concept arc for the big bad of Attack of the Clones is, we'll start from the bottom, a slender figure wearing a huge black skirt with pale white skin, a (gasps) bald head, and a halter top. Asajj Ventress! The original bad was supposed to be a Sith lady whoa but once they got christopher lee they were like we're taking christopher lee um yeah because the dooku anakin duel was so great and the yoda dooku duel was even greater the dooku anakin duel is not that long although the lighting on it is super good because as they're fighting they chop through power lines or something and then they're fighting in the dark yeah and you're, you're watching their faces being flashed up in the light it's a very cool duel I, it's not a top 20 duel for me but it's pretty cool wow not top 20 i really liked it because of the lighting and because christopher lee as we know is a very excellent fencer. Yeah. That duel inspired me to read up on longsword form, mm-hmm. right? And I was like, oh my God, Dooku's using the ox guard. And mm-hmm. then both of them are in the high guard. Yeah. And like, I was inspired to look up, like, could I learn how to use a sword? Yes. Like, I want to do that. Yeah, you could. It would be so cool. I just think it's very neat that we've just come off of the Siege of Mandalore arc part mm-hmm. one, where everybody's reporting back to Ahsoka and Rex that Anakin fought Dooku again. Yes. And the outcome was a little bit different that time. Well, let's think back over the Clone Wars, how many times Dooku and Anakin have fought. In the Clone Wars movie, they fight on the sands of Tatooine. They fight uh, on Naboo. Yeah, in the uh, the Witch Doctor arc. Yeah. Oh, that was Shadow Warrior. Shadow Warrior. Yeah, Anakin gets an armful of uh, cutlery. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I forgot about that. Um, They fought relatively recently, didn't they? No, they didn't in the, um, the Dooku captured arc because they... Anakin and Obi-Wan show up and Dooku just bounces. Yeah, back they, in season one. They never get a chance to fight. 
Yeah, it's it's very cool because I think more than anything that shows how much growth there is for Anakin between Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. And that's very fun for me. But I did not know that about Asajj. Yeah, and so it's really cool that they brought back Asajj. And at this point, I'm pretty excited to, on my free time or first spice run, watch a bunch of the Tartakowski Clone Wars because it fits in with the Clone Wars really well. Yeah, I think we will be doing some of that bonus content. As far as Easter eggs Mm -hmm. or things that were just very briefly in the movie, Ayla Sakura walking through the Jedi Temple was very fun, Mm -hmm. very cool. I really loved that beautiful moment when Anakin and Padme are embracing on Tatooine outside Mm -hmm. of the little adobe house. And Anakin's shadow looks like he has his Darth Vader helmet on. It does, yes. It's crazy. It made sense why he has that dumb ponytail the whole movie. (laughs) It's for that shot. There's one more fun factoid, and that's that for about, I don't know, maybe a quarter of the shots that Ian McGregor is in, fake hair, fake beard. No way. Because he was shooting uh, all the reshoots. He has a fake hair, fake beard, because after the initial filming, he went to do Black Hawk Down, where he plays a soldier who is, you know, shaved, shaved head. So That is delightful. Yeah. There is a gif of Obi-Wan twirling his lightsaber around to stab the schmonster. Yeah. Finally, that's been after him. Mm -hmm. And that gif gets so much traction on Tumblr.com, which, yes, I'm still on (laughs) Tumblr.com. And the amount of thirst for that gif is incredible because his hair is coming out of its slicked back Mm -hmm. thing, and he's got the sweat, and he's got the beard, and you're like – Holy schmoly. And he's finally killing the schmonster. Meanwhile, Anakin has tamed his. Padme has killed hers. <laughs> Literally iconic. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. Also, Dooku's solar sailor is the best. It's so beautiful in this movie. It is. And the Geonosian fighters, the artistry in the the Clone Wars, and then also looking back on how the Separatists are coming together and how with your battle droids and my battle droids together, we'll have something. Yeah. You can, especially as we go through the Clone Wars, watch as all these different things come in and see how complex the story is. Like in the Bad Batch arc, we see different battle droids that belong to Wat Tambor, yeah. who we see for the first time here. Yeah, that is incredibly cool. So all said, how does this hold up on this viewing for you? I think it held up quite well for different reasons. The first time I watched Attack of the Clones, I was very entranced in how beautifully braided the storyline was. Mm -hmm. And on this watch through, I was much more entranced by how big and beautiful it made the galaxy. Yeah, I feel very much the same way. And also how this continues to accelerate the motion of the plot in a really interesting way. And I also think this movie has aged surprisingly well because the pacing of Star Wars still is this. It's still in the pacing of, honestly, A New Hope, where you have like two good battles and then a bunch of banter and like some some moving around and some investigating. But somehow the the zeitgeist of Star Wars has moved into this incredibly high action. And that's really never been the case. It's always been a lot of thinking and talking and telling the story without telling the story, which I think is, is fun. I think it is cool to be fair. Geonosis is half the movie. It is. And it's almost too much, but it is fun. Yeah, it is fantastic. Speaking of fantastic Mm -hmm. things and places and people, is it time for Baywatch? Sure is. It's time for Baywatch. It's time for Baywatch. So, in this watch through... Who is Bay? Who gets a second chance at Baywatch? A second chance at Baywatch. Second chance for the second episode of Star Wars. There is a very strong argument to be made for R2-D2. Fair. Who I forgot has probably been rolling around with Padme for the last 10 years. Yes. Which is great. He saved Padme from getting molten gold minted in the droid factory. 
he also like does not take anything from C-3PO. C-3PO's Never. like, I'm the one who's more human, so you should listen to me. And R2's like, I'm going to shove you off a cliff. That is enough <laughs> for Baywatch in perpetuity from me. I'm not going to lie. He got Obi-Wan's message to the Jedi Council. Mm-hmm. He was really great. But the more I rewatch the prequel movies, the more I think this is just Padme's trilogy and we're living in it. Mm-hmm. It's Padme. That's fair. Padme's my choice. Action Padme forever. Action Padme forever. There's two Jedi and a rando in an arena fighting monsters. Who comes out on top? Literally Padme. Literally Padme. She's ready to die. She just smooched a hot guy. <laughs> she pulls out her lock picks. She I got my blasting. action crop top and I'm going to start blasting. She's like, I was totally prepared to go down in a hail of gunfire. And Anakin and Obi-Wan are like, really? Like We weren't. I continue to love Padme a million more times than I did on my first watch through. Yeah. The way that she calls out Anakin in the picnic scene Mm -hmm. is superb. Yeah. He's like, I think that the politicians need to just listen Mm -hmm. to one person and and it should be me. She's like, you're a jabroni. That's a dictatorship. And also, you're wrong. Yeah. Yeah. When... When Anakin and Padme are leaving on their refugee trip, mm-hmm. Captain Typho turns to Obi-Wan and he's like, honestly, I'm more worried about her trying something than Anakin. Yeah. And he's totally right. It's so true. She does cause a little bit of trouble. Anakin she is, is the like, one who I, the Geonosis. Yeah. Anakin's like, I'm going to stay on Tatooine because Mace Windu told me to. And she's like, well, you have to protect me and I'm going to Geonosis. So there. And then they steal C-3PO. And then they steal C-3PO. It is great. Her timing is great in the droid factory. Her bobby painting out of her handcuffs is amazing. Mm-hmm. Riding one of the Tusken Raider dogs in the arena is fantastic. She's just the best. And also, and this is a real reason, not just that I love action Padme, when Anakin and Obi-Wan are having that big fight scene mm-hmm. on the speeder on the way to go fight Dooku. Yeah. And Anakin's freaking out because Padme got bumped out of this out of the ship. Mm-hmm. Obi-Wan is like, come to your senses. What do you think Padme would do if she were in your position? Mm-hmm. And Anakin's like, she would do her duty. Yeah. And women just continue to make their men better all the time. And for what, Sam? For what? For what? For what? For us to squander it by blowing up the planet. Exactly. So it's going to be Pad Bay for me. That's fair. What about you? Obi-Wan. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Obi-Wan's doing classic Jedi stuff. And specifically for the scene on Kamino when he first shows up. And they're like, oh, we're so glad you're here. And he's like. Yes, I'm glad to be here. <laughs> uh, tell me exactly why I'm here for in this your words. Totally scheduled and routine visit <laughs> that's been on the agenda for many, like, many years. And they're like, oh, I'm sure you want to investigate. That's why I'm here. <laughs> he is so great. <laughs> that that's really fun. He he's trying his best. He's doing okay. He knows his limits. He knows that he's got room to grow and he's trying. I mean, he goes and takes Dooku. Like, he's like, Anakin, I need you to help me take out Dooku. We are used to training together, but neither of us is capable of taking him. And Anakin's like, I'm going to go be a dumb. And <laughs> and then Obi-Wan's like, well, I guess I'm going to get my butt whooped by Dooku. But I gotta. I just gotta. Yeah. And he does. So it's pretty fun. It's a good movie. I'm grateful that Obi-Wan's more in this one than in The Phantom. I don't think that this is the best Obi-Wan movie. In fact, I think Obi-Wan is rehabilitated by the Clone Wars TV series more than just about any other character. Although it's interesting that in your mind, Padme has gained so much traction. Padme has gained traction because now I understand what these movies are trying to say in the big Mm -hmm. picture rather than watching for detail, which is the way that I watched them the first time through. And when I understood the big picture, I saw how instrumental Padme was for it Mm. and how much she's doing every time she's doing something. Although that said, one of our Patreons did say way back that she could not believe we didn't choose 
Padme for episode two. Yeah, she was totally right. right, I was blinded. You were blinded. I am, I'm, I'm, I'm doing better this time around. (laughs) I've come to see the light off of Padme and it is so bright and she is so great. All right. Well, that about wraps it up. Next week, we are doing the first half of episode three, Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. I'm excited to split this one into two again. It is a lot to watch a whole feature film. It, yeah. I don't I don't know how I used to do this. I don't know how I used to watch like whole movies. I know. Right? Sitting, sitting down and watching two hours of TV is a lot. It's a lot. A lot. God, we're old. I don't know if we're old. We're just like millennials. Like, <laughs> my parents will happily sit down for like six, the you know the the federally mandated sixteen hours of Fox News per day, and I'm just like I can't sit in front of a TV that long. But anyway, we are watching the first half of Revenge of the Sith. As always, you can find us on social media at GrowingUpSkywalker.com, at GrowingUpSkywalker, at GrowingUpSkywalk on Twitter. We're everywhere. We post pictures. We post memes. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you. And if you want more Growing Up Skywalker, you can find us on Patreon. Mm -hmm. Monthly memberships for bonus content start at $3 a month. And don't forget to rate us and review us and drop us five stars on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on. Uh, Five stars only. We're picky. (laughs) And send this to someone in a bad relationship. Oh, no. (laughs) It'll make them feel worse. Don't worry. (laughs) And we'll see you next Tuesday. (laughs) 